Fate would like to thank Colart for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. A longtime supporter of Fate, Colart are the people behind companies such as Windsor & Newton, Liquitex, Conti, Reeves, and a whole host of others. Need an art supply? One of Colart's companies probably covers it. Find out more at colart.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Hey there, this is Valerie Powell. Welcome to Positive Space. Today, joining us on the phone, we have Shannon Lindsay, who is a lecturer of art and the gallery director at the University of Central Florida. Welcome, Shannon. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is so much fun to get to chat with you. And I feel like you have such a unique perspective in terms of getting to teach foundations and teach lots of classes and then being an artist and then also having this experience as being a gallery director is pretty unique. And I I would imagine that there's a lot of things that kind of overflow and sort of cross-pollinate within that experience. Definitely. It It is a really kind of great cluster of experience and opportunity being able to be a practicing artist and an art educator and working as the gallery director and for me what I really like about the gallery as a space is I get to promote it as this is really the venue where us as professional artists get to showcase our research, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I like to share that with my students and I like to take them into the gallery and specifically reference things that we're learning in the classroom, you know, and that right now I'm teaching 2D design. So we might be talking about certain elements and principles of design and I can take them and show them a real contemporary artist in a professional venue and we can talk about the objectives we're learning in class Mm. and they can also get a sense of kind of post-classroom right so where can all of this go after we learn all these objectives and and these strategies and really this basis of the visual language Mm -hmm. and the other part I like about that as an educator and as an artist is it's a continuing education for us too right we get to Mm -hmm. we get to go into the gallery and get inspired and get inspiration for taking back certain processes and, and research that, that we might be inspired by. And then I also am a big advocate for the artists that I invite to the gallery to really take it as an opportunity for further experimentation. I think many of us don't give a lot of thought after the artwork is made, and I really like the gallery to be this continuing space of the studio where you get to play with how you want to how you want to install your work and how you want viewers to experience it. You know, you might play with heights, you might play with installation, you might play with, you know, just how a viewer would pass through the space. And I think that that's a really great opportunity that we unfortunately never get until we're in a gallery situation. It's really hard to recreate that in, in, you know, the seclusion of your studio. 
Right. Absolutely. And then, I mean, what's so nice about having work in a gallery and specifically on, on campus is that, you know, your your audience tends to be a little bit different than downtown Houston or in a more commercial space. Correct. Yes. It's, it's nice because you do get to take a little liberty and the fact that a lot of your visitors are informed viewers in some way, you know, they might be new art students and they might be students from a whole different side of campus that are interested, which is always really exciting when we can engage those students and even those faculty and staff and people in the community who maybe aren't artists, but they feel an energy because there's a lot of investment in the space and investment from the students and the faculty. And I think it, it creates some really nice engagement. Absolutely. It's such an exciting tool, you know, to use as an educator, but then also just as a curious person, right? Because you never know what you're going to find on campus in terms of those those sort of spaces. And so is it one space that you guys have at UCF or are there multiple spaces in terms of um, showcasing work? Well, right now we do just have the one space and it's a it's a really, really large space. It's about 3000 square feet. And we have a huge, you know, backroom staging area and a loading dock. And so really the artists that come in really have a great opportunity because we have a huge space that's really fantastic and upgraded and and professional. And then we do showcase our graduating BFA students and MFA students. And they're always really excited to have that opportunity to be showcased in a space where professional artists have exhibited. Right. And to also be such a great beautiful space is exciting for them. Well, yeah. And it just makes everything seem so real. It's one thing to have a critique and a painting class and try to make the walls a little nice and you try to clean up things, but to see things well lit and to see them in a white box of some kind really transforms things. Definitely. And I think you learn a lot about your work and you learn a lot about the decisions that you make in the studio. I know for myself, I I have my my BFA in studio art was focused on drawing and painting. And then in graduate school, I shifted to a more three-dimensional approach with sculptures and installation. And I know I can pinpoint the moment that I made that pivot was when I kind of dabbled a little bit in a relief process. And I exhibited in a gallery and that physical awareness that I viewed visitors having that they had to physically be aware of these things kind of projecting off of the wall and that was an experience I never had with my really you know flat drawing and painting and I would have never had that realization if I hadn't gotten it out of the studio. Right and then been in a space where you really could sort of play and experiment and give yourself permission to maybe try things that in a studio space Often we don't have space to do that because we have um, all kinds of things happening in there. <laughs> right, exactly. We're working in these confines of a, a garage or a more dining room. People really having some breathing room from your for your work and being able to view it in that in that setting is really such a a great rewarding experience, which is why I'm a big advocate for the artists who come in to really try to embrace that process. You know, don't worry about rushing through to get your work installed you can take your time if you change your mind change your mind right this is Mm. the only opportunity you have to make these choices so 
That's exciting. You mentioned so often an artist maybe isn't able to think about the audience or the space in which the work is going to be exhibited because they probably don't know, you know, unless they're making something in advance for a show that they they very much have on the books and those sorts of things. Do you find that in your own practice as an artist that you know, since you've been a gallery director, that that you tend to think about spaces as you're making work? Oh, definitely. You know, and for my own work, I have been doing a lot of site-specific installations. And I think it really goes hand-in-hand in in my passion for the gallery as still this working experimental space where I want my decisions to reflect the space that it's exhibiting in. And I want my decisions to reflect and have an effect on how viewers will view the work and experience the work. And it's definitely had an impact on my art making process. I think, you know, definitely as a student and even as a practicing artist, you know, we get into that kind of sweet spot of the endless possibilities of what happens in your studio and what happens in that really excited place of making. And I really have been holding myself accountable for, circling back after after that and okay how how do I install this how do I deal with the logistics of a space and the, the logistics of shipping or driving it somewhere to get it into a space and I think that that is a really important point that we have to remember while we're working and also to share with our students right that yes you can have these amazing kind of pie in the sky exciting ideas and and processes and work on them in your studio but then let's think about you know can you get it out of the studio door (laughs) so um, and I and I think that that is is really the most exciting part for me is being able to remind myself in that in that practice of working in the studio of this is going to go somewhere else right and and Mm -hmm. kind of hold myself accountable to that is exciting Yeah, it it absolutely is. I think there's definitely, I mean, as a professor, there's excitement, of course, about teaching and allowing students to become really passionate about whatever they're making. And and I think it's, it's very easy to focus on that. And that is very important. But the life the work is going to have and, you know, wanting it wanting it to go other places is is really valuable and and I think maybe not as discussed um, or not not as talked about as sort of the romantic making the work and and all of that but yeah like what are you going to do with it is it just going to pile up at your house are you going to give it all to your mom who's going to see it and how are they going to feel right exactly it goes back to that idea of if you're not in the woods to hear the tree fall does it in fact make a sound so if you don't get that artwork out of the studio, is it really working effectively? And are all of the things that you hope are happening, is it happening? And you really can't judge that until you get it out into the public and get some fresh eyes and some fresh responses. Sure. And that that's such a valuable thing at any stage of your career, you know, whether you're a student or whether you're a professional working artist, getting that, that feedback and then being able to respond to that and then make work and continue to facilitate that experimentation is, is so valuable and so exciting. Exactly. And then also being able to share that sometimes things don't work, right? And and this, and this is how you learn what works and, and what doesn't work is being open to trying some new things and also just getting feedback from people about the decisions that you've made. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that problem solving is, is something that, 
we can probably never tell our students about enough or remind ourselves about enough, you know, in terms of how to how to solve a problem and how to be excited about that um, in terms of, you know, navigating that creative process. Exactly. You know, and the problem solving happens outside of a composition, right? It happens with how you want something to be framed or how high it should be hung or should this, you know, be exhibited in the middle of the room or kind of suspended from the ceiling, right? And so all of those things are important. And then is, is also experimentation and, and problem and problem solving, like you said, where we really grow, right? And where we really learn what we're kind of capable of and what our artwork is capable of or kind of through those moments of discomfort and kind of unfamiliarity. So I, I tried to, and for my own work, that's something that I've tried to embrace in my work because it is something that makes us uncomfortable. And so by creating site-specific installations, I really have to respond to the space and be open to taking chances. And I can't predetermine too many things. And usually what I do predetermine, I throw out fairly quickly. And I like to inspire that in my students, too. I think that's something that is is so hard to sort of get comfortable with is this idea of like being uncomfortable or having things be awkward or sort of being in this in-between of like, well, I have this work and I think it's going to go this way and but I'll get in the space and then I'll kind of navigate but you have to kind of be willing to sort of trust yourself that, that you'll be able to respond in those moments. What are some things that you've done in the classroom that have, you know, encouraged students to experiment or to be open to trying things and, you know, whether that's installing something differently or, you know, considering an audience or, or whatever? Well, I think for me, because I do primarily teach foundations courses, for me, it's a little, I, I'm a little, it's hard to get right to the audience point of it because they're so rigid and just making. So I try to start that being open and being vulnerable and taking chances and, and risking failure more on the process side initially. And I try to do that by introducing materials that I feel like nobody in the class has ever used in that way. Uh, one project that I did in the 3D design class that I taught I presented at the last fate is what would they do where the the class gets divided up into small groups and each group gets assigned a contemporary installation artist to research and they have to create their own site-specific installation in assigned spaces in the building based on what they researched about that artist. So if you were the artist here right now and you had access to what you had access to, what would you use to make the installation? And what would that installation look like? How would it interact with our architectural space? And, you know, we're ma- they're making installations out of paper or, you know, found materials or rocks and all these things that they probably never imagined they would be making art out of. So then everybody's kind of on a level playing field, right? Like nobody has experience making an installation out of sand and rocks, okay? So everybody (laughs) in that group feels kind of comfort in knowing that they're all going through this discomfort together. And then here at, at UCF, I'm teaching the 2D design class, and I got inspiration from one of my new colleagues for the kind of introductory focus on line and shape project to use electrical tape. Um, So just the basic black electrical tape to develop a vocabulary of line and shapes. And that was really exciting because 
you know, we all kind of have these classes where some people have a lot more experience and some people are coming in with no experience or not even art majors. And so how do you create this experience that's relevant for everybody and is really a learning opportunity for everyone? And that electrical tape was amazing because nobody has ever made a drawing out of electrical tape walking in that classroom. Right. So they're learning sort of these characteristics of the material of electrical tape, right? And learning how how to make marks through it and how to make lines and shapes, which was really exciting. And it actually inspired me to start using electrical tape in some of my 2D collage um, drawings, which was really exciting to kind of see how the students were reacting to that as a material. And then I thought, well, I mean, I might try that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun when like worlds collide in that way in terms of things like spilling from your studio practice into um, the classroom or, you know, vice versa, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Those those projects are so exciting. I mean, like, so in terms of the installation project, you, you said that was a group project, right? Right. So my class for that, uh, I think I usually had about 20 people. And so I would divide them into smaller groups of usually no more, no less than three and no more than four. So it's just enough to where everybody's kind of held accountable and they all contribute to the research and they all contribute to bringing in materials and planning their space. And then they have to do a sort of research PowerPoint presentation at the end. And I give them a very limited time for that project. I give them really only like two class periods to actually make the installation. So it's, I also think shorter time periods are nice, especially if you really are trying to advocate experimentation and risk taking because they're kind of, you know, they're pedal to the metal that have time to second guess themselves. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting things that happen from that time pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of failures that happens from that too, but the students are able to recognize, you know, if this was something I wanted to pursue or I was able to invest more time, we could, we would make these decisions, right. Which is just as important to me than as the decisions that they actually made. Right. So being able to recognize time and how that becomes a factor in the art making process is exciting. Absolutely. And then when they're working with with a small group, they also get to sort of learn a little bit more about their own artistic habits and their peers' artistic habits and sort of how those can can work together or how they can be maybe in opposition. (laughs) I I think that's, that's so smart in terms of allowing them to work with materials that really everyone is unfamiliar with. Um, because it does really create that sort of level playing field for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering though, like, have you had any kind of experience with students maybe being like, whatever, this is an art or why are we doing this? Because these are rocks and I'm, I want to be an animator or I want to paint kittens mm-hmm. or, or wh- whatever it is. Like, do you ever find that, that there's, it's hard for them to sort of buy into that because they're, they're making something that they really can't take home, for example, because it's an installation or it's something that's maybe more temporary. Right, definitely. And, you know, that is a little, that's a little bit challenging, especially if our students are being, they're going through this process of working individually on a, on a drawing or on a painting and they have control over every decision and they get to take it home at the end of the day. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I really talk about the nature of installation and give a little bit historical context 
to installation and and how it really uh, came about to kind of question, you know, what is art and the validity of art and also kind of commenting on the falseness of art, right? And how like we perceive these paintings as being real, but they're not real. They're just paintings, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so kind of being really and also connecting it to the visual language, right? And so allowing them the opportunity to explore something that's temporary and how that has an effect on what you make and how that has an effect on how people would view it um, versus something that's more permanent. And knowing that you have a, a range of what you can convey in that opportunity and that you don't have to pick one or the other, or you don't have to pick being just a painter, you know, you can be interdisciplinary and you can, you can use all of these approaches depending on what you're trying to express and really having intention on what you're expressing and how you're expressing it, reflecting one another. Yeah. So usually if I have those students that are really not digging it at first, (laughs) they really kind of get into it through the research process. They learn about the artist and they learn about their intentions and, they become more interested because that they have that point of reference and they're trying to replicate that person. And I think that that's what makes that project successful because I'm not having them just create an installation, uh, you know, on their own fruition of, and of their own, um, their own intention. I'm Mm -hmm. letting them have a point of reference, which I think gives a little bit of comfort because they have a point of reference that they're they're going to to connect why we made this decision, why we use these materials, why we went to this scale versus a smaller scale versus a larger scale. And I think having that reference allows that comfort while they're dealing with something that's very uncomfortable. Well, sure. And it gives them a place to begin, which I think can can be really challenging for really everyone, right, um, in terms of, well, where do I start? If, if they know who they're researching and they have sort of a direction they can go in, that seems like that would make so much sense. And and then that they can walk into the gallery on campus and perhaps see an installation and have a discussion about, you know, what this space feels like or how this space is different than it was before. Exactly. And really kind of making the space your own and not seeing things as obstacles, right? Um, Because definitely the spaces they get in the building are not the most ideal spaces, right? They're these spaces that we've made a compromise with and the fire marshal won't get too upset (laughs) as a temporary basis. And so it's like, okay, maybe it's not ideal to be right next to a column or a set of stairs, right? But how do you how do you exploit that and how do you make that an opportunity instead of an obstacle, which is something I think they can carry on right into their art making process. If they are working on a digital design or a painting or sculpture, they can take that mindset and apply it into whatever process and medium that they are working on outside of this one project. You know, I think it's probably human nature to be directed towards things that you're familiar with or maybe comfortable with. And so, I mean, I think probably most most of our students, I imagine, you know, have seen a painting or have seen a sculpture and have a real understanding of what a photo is and how that's art and, and that kind of thing. But, but, but maybe considering work that's site-specific or work that's temporary or work that even is so, sort of a hybrid of all kinds of things you know, I think it's just great that, that you're giving them an opportunity to really research that and really think about it rather than just react and go, well, that's silly. Or why would someone do that? 
Exactly. Yeah. And I had a really great friend in graduate school who used to say, we don't know what we like. We like what we know. And that was a phrase that really resonated with me. And I have approached that with my students. You know, somebody might come in and say, well, I'm a graphic designer and I'm a painter and, and yada, yada, yada. I don't have to, I don't have to do this. And so really exposing them to, you know, that's great. And you might stay a painter, but this is going to deepen your understanding. And maybe it opens opportunity to where later down the road, you decide that you want to do something else. And now you have a little bit more background and experience to know that you can be confident in making that decision and not just stick with what you feel safe and feel supported to take risks. And I love that. We don't know what we like. We like what we know. That's so true. And and I think students are so excited to, to kind of land on something and just say, well, I'm this or I'm good at that or I can't do that or, you know, whatever. And it, it's such a crucial opportunity, especially in foundations, to, to really expand the conversation and give them permission, you know, to, to play and, and to really research a lot of things and just be curious. Exactly. And, you know, I think many of us fall for that same thing where we get into kind of a comfort space and, okay, this is working out well. And so I'm just going to keep kind of going down this road, but, you know, holding myself accountable to taking those risks and holding my students accountable to being open to taking those risks because they are foundations. And so they don't necessarily know per se, most of the time what they want to pursue, but I'm also trying to make sure they're not, they're not, trying to grab a hold of something too early without mm-hmm. knowing what their opportunities are and knowing, okay, here is your range. Here's the, the endless possibilities and let's dabble in a little of all of these. And then you can figure out your way. Right. And, and all those like dabblings that maybe they think is sort of wasted or not focused on the thing that they want to do is actually going to terribly inform the thing that they want to do you know what I mean and 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 can can make their painting better and and can make whatever the end goal is be a lot stronger because they'll have more tools that they can pull from exactly you know and and maybe what you dabble in in your studio doesn't come full circle to the kind of finished product that you're working on but I think any kind of play and experimentation just deepens your understanding and gives you different perspectives on decisions that you can make on whatever it is you're working on. Sure. And, you know, I mean, I found that students, they get so focused on, on the end goal, you know, the, the, the pretty thing that they're going to make and how great it's going to be, which is wonderful. And as a professor, I want to photograph the pretty thing at the end and put that in my teaching portfolio for sure. But, um, but I, you know, getting them to really understand the process and, and really embrace it, that you can be at a grocery store and, and have an idea and something could inform something else and that it doesn't necessarily all happen in the studio in terms of process. But I think because of grading, <laughs> that can be really challenging. Do you find that in, in grading their work that, that you consider process or that you consider experimentation or if it's Johnny's first time to make something in three dimensions, like does, does that sort of come into play? Well, yeah, grading is always interesting and and grading that project, I like having it sort of multi-layered where they are working as a group, they're all contributing materials and contributing to their overall plan and execution of the installation and they're contributing to research, right? So there's many points in which I'm holding them accountable and really what's nice about the installation project is it is temporary and 
yes, there is sort of a final step where we can step back and say, oh, this is wonderful. And then now we're going to take it all down. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that focus on the grade, they don't they don't invest so much as to what the end result is going to look like reflecting their grade. They know that because it's temporary, that their investment needs to be in the process and needs to be in the research. And that's really where I kind of hold, hold them accountable. Really making notes as to, you know, who's coming in with, you know, different materials every day, who's coming in with, with new kind of points of reference on, on research and, you know, how invested they are in understanding that artist and their materials and their process. And that really is where I make those connections. So for me, the installation project is more like a kind of visual research paper where, you know, it's really the culmination of their understanding. But I feel like it's a step better because it's not regurgitating what they've read. They've had to actually reflect and digest what this artist's intention is and what their process is and how can we reinterpret that in our own way. Well, and then and then they share that, you said, in some kind of presentation, right? Right. So they create a PowerPoint as a group. And so while we are looking at their installation, they show us the PowerPoint to give us the historical background and the the process and the research focus of their particular artist. So when I present the project initially, I just give a very general statement about each of these artists that they're going to be selecting just to make sure they're getting on the right page of 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 who they're going to research, right? Because that's kind of the detriment to the access to technology and information is our students don't really know how to research anything. So it's not the first thing that comes up on Google all the time. So (laughs) when they're looking up Sarah Z, right, I've had a little bit of an introduction. So they know who Sarah Z is and what her work tends to look like. So they know they're going on the right track research wise. Oh, that's, that's really smart. That's so smart. Um, oh, I love her work, by the way. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. It's so great. Yeah, I, I got to meet her, actually, well, sort of when I was in Venice a couple summers ago when she did her big installation for the Biennale. It was, I was, I was like fanning out. I was completely like a nerd. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I, I, I scared her terribly. <laughs> I would have I would have done the exact same. Yeah, that that work that she did for the Venice Biennale in the pavilion was amazing. And that's exactly the one that I reference a lot of the times for her because it's so great because she had a whole entire building. Right. And so yeah. really how she reacted to the architectural space in every single setting. Yeah, it was so unique and so, so wonderful. You know, and I'm, I'm curious, you as a maker, you work in 2D, you know, drawing, painting, collage sort of things. And then you also have this practice where you're doing installations and you're doing sculptures and things that are more site specific. And so how do you know when you're coming up with an idea, what it needs to be? If this is, should this be flat? Should this be, you know, in architecture? How, how do you make those decisions? Well, that's a good question. And I think that's kind of our struggle as artists is an answer to that. Right. And um, so for me, I guess I always am focused on materials and process. And so for myself, I'm really interested in using manufactured construction materials that have a real specific purpose and utility and kind of reflecting on those just as raw materials and trying to remove that utilitarian context and exploring the formal qualities of the of them at, at like like art materials and 
you know, what is the color? What is the weight? You know, how does it reflect? And really creating installations and sculptures through those materials, through action and process to kind of explore for myself our understanding of something, how we define something as being useful or not being useful or having order or not having order and, and entropy. And so for me, the, the idea of perception is what connects all of that. So how do we perceive and how do we define something? So for me, a process and material is what is kind of, is kind of connecting me through all steps of my studio work. And, you know, I, I will work on a material in an installation, which of course only really happens in a gallery space. And so outside of that, I'm working in my studio with two-dimensional works where I might be taking pieces of these materials I'm using in installations and creating collages or, you know, studies through drawings and paintings and kind of trying to encapsulate those formal qualities that I appreciate in them as materials through that two-dimensional work. And which is really exciting because I'm able to make kind of on the spot, really reactionary decisions in a physical space for the gallery. But then I can take that experience and that working process of working with the material and I can reflect on it further in the studio and make drawings that that allow me to deepen that understanding and that process of, of working with the installation. So for me, it's kind of a full circle and. I'm able to go back and forth, but it's really mostly about material and process. Oh, that's so exciting. And and it makes so much sense, you know, hearing you talk about that, that some of your projects have been very like process driven and very material driven in the classroom. Right, exactly. And, you know, for myself, I think, and I guess that's why I try to give my students materials and processes that are a bit unfamiliar because that's how I work in my studio and that's what keeps me engaged I think as a maker and the more we can do that and it may be something totally weird that doesn't work out right but I think being open to using things in different ways and being open to what an art material is is an exciting lesson for some of our new art students. Sure. And then it gives them such confidence. It's like, well, if I can draw with electrical tape, then I can probably draw with a pencil even better. It just, it allows you to sort of translate that problem solving skill set into a wider range of, of, of materials and experiences. Exactly. And I think it, I think it helps take off the pressure a little bit from, from these, some of these students who maybe don't have experience, but they're excited about art, but you know, they weren't, taking art classes in high school and they didn't get art lessons, you know, and, and they are sitting next, next to somebody in class who may have had that. Right. And so it kind of helps level the playing field, like I said earlier, and it helps them, I think, feel a little bit confident because they might use electrical tape way better than somebody who's been using graphite pencils, you know, for their whole life. Sure. Really detailed, highly realistic drawings. Right. So I think the more we can keep it exciting and new for for all of them I think the further engaged they're going to be and more supported they feel in, in taking risks sure and and that I think will inform when they walk into a gallery space and they don't just react out of not knowing something or not being familiar they can then see things with fresher eyes and maybe even maybe even try to understand the artistic process that that artist went into in terms of making something for a gallery space 
Exactly. Right. Even if, you know, they're having issue with the content of a work, they, they have a point of entry of the making process. Right. And so how they can reflect on, well, you know, I made a painting using this and I made a drawing using this. And so I can, I can connect to this work through process. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm curious when you were growing up, were you always like an art kid or was this something that you kind of came into later in, in life? Well, I think I probably was always an art kid. You know, I was, I remember always drawing and sketching and, um, you know, got into painting when I got into high school, but I'm, I'm from a pretty small town where art doesn't really have the, um, the full awareness. Right. So in, in that town, art is making a painting that's highly realistic right and it's not about concept it's about replicating in it something in a visual way and so for me I was interested in process and I was interested in in drawing and in making but kind of the reality for me happened much later as to the impact that it can have in terms of having that artistic intention and content behind your work and and it really opened up in college as to being able to utilize this visual language as a third language, right? So we are taught really well how to have our verbal language and our written language. But us as artists, we make art because the things that we're interested in are not easily expressed in those modes. So we have to rely on the visual language, which for me opened it up so much that I felt like I could explore things that are hard to talk about and things that are hard to write about if I make work about it and because we have this visual language that ties everything that we can, we can read through these elements and principles of design to help understand the intention of a work. And I guess that's where it really opened up for me. And I guess I probably baffle many people in my hometown with the work that I make because it really, I didn't grow up with that very contemporary awareness of art that definitely happened later in life. Mm. Well, so, I mean, was your family concerned <laughs> when you said, I'm going to get my MFA and I'm going to, you know, do this and that? Well, you know, I am fortunate in that, although my family still probably doesn't really understand my work very well, they've always been very supportive. So I have always had, you know, whatever you want to do, we feel confident that you will be the best that you can be and, and be successful at it. So they may not fully understand it, but they appreciate that I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and that I feel like I'm kind of contributing in the world in, in my way and being able to express myself in ways that other people don't feel like they can, right? Yeah, that, that's so important. I mean, having supportive family is obviously crucial, but, but I think maybe being able to relate perhaps to some students who maybe they don't feel like everyone else in their family, or, you know, maybe there's a career path that isn't really familiar to the rest of their peer group or their families. I mean, I think being able to, to sort of relate to them in that way is, is really nice. Oh, definitely. You know, and you have those students who, you know, nobody in their family understands art or understands why they want to pursue art. And then, you you know, you also have first generation college students, which I was a first generation college student myself. So for me, it was so much new, you know, going to college. It was an experience nobody in my family had had before and pursuing art, which nobody in my family had really an understanding of. So it was all new. And so maybe I um, I just took advantage of nobody has been in, in on this road before that I am kind of intimately connected to. And so I, it really was experimentation for me as a student. 
Absolutely. And it seems like you obviously enjoyed it enough to, to then want to, you know, become a professor, right? And, and spend a lot more time on campus than, than you probably ever imagined. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think all of us really just want to be students for our whole lives. And so this is our way of, of making that happen. But, you know, I guess that's why I really wanted to pursue art academia because we really are so fortunate to be in this space where we have we we are able to work together and problem solve together and we can learn from our students through process and experimentation just as much as they learn from us which I think is part of a big way that we're separated from many other disciplines that I think it's it's okay and our students enjoy when we can present that we don't have all of the answers and I can Mm -hmm. show you my familiarity and I can show you my understanding, but everybody's going to explore this in a different way and that there's not one right answer. And I know for me as a student, that's really what opened up the doors for me is I really appreciate that mode of thought and that, and that way of thinking. And, and that's really the way you have to think about art. And, um, I think, it's exciting to be able to work with the students and try to cultivate that as a mindset and really cultivate critical thinking. Sure. And this idea that you're not done doing that when you graduate with this degree or that degree, or you reach some kind of plateau that, that we should be curious all the time and we should be wanting to engage in that kind of play and experimentation, you know, hopefully our whole lives. Right. And I think, you know, that's what sets us apart. And I think that's why, many areas, you know, in corporate America are pursuing artists because we're trained to be critical thinkers and to be problem solvers and to think outside of the box. We're not trained to think in one particular way. And that's something that I tried to explain to my students who maybe are apprehensive about pursuing art. They might be getting pressure at home and I I just try to tell them, listen, you know, if you really just focus on the skills that you gain as an art student, like besides the whole I can use a paintbrush and I can use a drill, the the problem solving, the critical thinking, the the research, all of these things are so important to in any industry that if you focus on those skills, you're going to be successful in whatever it is you're trying to pursue. Absolutely. And just the skill of being able to observe the world, you know, thoughtfully is so valuable in any field. And that sort of habit of being really present, it's so important. And especially in our world today, for sure. Definitely. So, you know, even if some of these students who might be biology majors and they want to go to med school, you know, they'll still have this, hopefully, hopefully this process of being in these foundation classes can build an appreciation for the the visual arts and even if it's something they don't pursue because they have that connection to making and kind of being in the role of the artist I I hope that that stimulates some reflection in society on how we appreciate and support the arts right and then how we respond to it and how we can make it part of our lives which it already is I mean we we live in spaces and we encounter form and and shape and and all of these things all around us you know and we're making choices all the time about how that's going to inform our day-to-day life exactly and I don't know how many how many people who might be listening have been in that situation where you have taught a class or nobody is an art student Um, that happened to me a couple of years ago, teaching my 2D design class, and 
it was the first day of class and I realized not one person in my class was an art major. I had maybe two or three out of a class of 25 that were art minors. And so I really had to sit back and, you know, we're talking earlier about sort of informed viewers, right, coming to a gallery. I think many of us take for granted that we have informed students, right, that they have some sort of interest and investment already in the arts and you don't have to explain why it's important. In that moment, I, I just I just knew, okay, how am I going to circle this back? How am I going to make this relevant to all these business majors and biology majors and psychology majors? And how am I going to connect this? And, and I did a little PowerPoint the second day of class talking about design and talking about the elements and principles of design. And I just kind of I put up images that reflected their day-to-day, right? So they get up and they brush their teeth, which is a toothbrush has been designed in a very specific way. And <laughs> they put on their clothes, which, of course, has been designed in a very specific way. And then they get in their car, which has been designed. And you drive on the road, which has been designed. And so, you know, all of these things that the visual language and design really dictates everything we do in our day-to-day life. So even if they're not going to come out making art and being a practicing artist, they can appreciate design and how it affects them every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I'm I'm curious, how did you get involved in the fate community? How, How did that happen for you? Well, actually, as a graduate student, I was fortunate enough to be a GTA and instructor of record for two of my three years as a graduate student at the University of South Carolina. And the foundation's coordinator, Don Hunter, came to me and has talked to me about, about fate many times and, and, of course, insisted we needed to go. And actually, we co-presented on a panel at fate in Indianapolis. And that was uh, right after I finished graduate school. And so we co-presented on a panel that talked about working with GTAs and working with graduate students and especially with sort of um, synchronized curriculum, but then also giving enough liberty to where these teachers can start feeling confident and making decisions on their own. And that was such a great experience to go into fate for the first time. It was a little bit, you know, um, intimidating going to fate for the first time and presenting on a panel. Mm. It was really such a great way to get introduced to it because of course you had people who came to the panel and and talked to you afterwards. And it really represented this, this incredible community of people that I didn't, didn't really know existed. Right. It's like all these people are practicing artists and they're also passionate about teaching art. Right. And that's really what has been a huge motivator for me as an educator and as a student, or I'm sorry, as an artist and working with students is knowing that we're kind of part of this bigger movement and that we can all refer to one another. And it's, I, I know on, on Facebook, everybody can put out requests. Like I'm trying this new project. I'm dealing with this new curriculum content. And it's this huge support system that I think is so invaluable and anybody pursuing any arts and higher education, I think should be a part of it's an incredible community and it just feels like it's so alive and it's just so inspiring to see all these people that are like doing it, you know, that are in the trenches and making choices and being curious. It's, it's, it's really, really wonderful. Exactly. And I think it helps keep us motivated to keep going, right. To keep going back and seeing what everybody else had, how they have evolved and how their projects have changed and 
what has been inspiring for them and and that keeps inspiring us and it's really really the only way I think we can all keep being successful as as teachers right getting out of our own elements and out of our our own interests and be inspired by somebody else Absolutely. It's, it's, it's such a, such a crucial thing is to, you know, stay connected and stay curious for sure. Well, Shannon, it has been such a joy getting to talk to you uh, this morning. And I just really appreciate your time and everything that you're doing there at Central Florida just seems really incredible. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody maybe thinks about experimentation a bit in their in their practice and experimenting in a gallery setting which I think many of us feel apprehensive to do and know that it's an extension of your studio and and feel take some liberties to learn more about your work mm-hmm. well and are, are you guys actively accepting proposals for your gallery <laughs> I know because I imagine that you might be getting a few more than you did previously after after all all of this well, it's funny you mentioned that because we are actually posting our annual call um, this week. So you can you can refer to the University of Central Florida UCF Art Gallery, and it will be posted on our page. And I'll definitely post it on our, our social media and on Fate. And would love to work with the the greater arts um, higher education community. Wonderful. Well, thanks again so much, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.